I will readily admit to anybody who asks me that I am not a fisherman. There are some fishermen in this congregation, and I love them all. And uh, probably somebody will try to take me fishing to redeem my experience of fishing, but good luck, Bill McRae. I have been out, I have been fishing, I have gotten sick deep sea fishing, and I have been hotter than you know what at my granddaddy's lake trying to catch catfish on a hot summer day in West Georgia. But anyway, I don't like fishing, but there are folks in this congregation that love fishing. I'm looking at some of them right now. And I asked some of those fishermen a few questions in relationship to this sermon, though they didn't really know that that was what I was asking about. So I asked them, I said, how long would you fish if you weren't catching anything? One of our fishermen, Jeff, told me that, well, he said, last time I went to Lake Santa Fe this week, he said, I was out there for two and a half hours and I didn't even see a fish. Three hours and did not see a fish. So three hours. I asked Ken Langland how long he would fish. Ken's response was, until the beer ran out. Fair enough. I asked Jeff, I said, would you want to be a professional fisherman, to do it professionally, to make your living from fishing? Jeff said, no way. That would take all the fun out of it if I had to worry about fishing to make my livelihood. I asked Ken what he loved about fishing. He said, everything. I love to eat fish. I love to be out on the water. And I love to catch fish. That kind of sums it up. Well, though I'm not a fisherman, I have a lot of sympathy for Peter in our account, this gospel lesson that we've got. Before I, before I move on, though, I want to remind those of you who were with me last week that, that Jeremiah 1, the, the call of Jeremiah, and we'll come back to this, is a lot like the call of Gideon. Did you notice that in the first lesson? There's a lot of similarities in Gideon's call, feeling unworthy and God being called anyway um, and last week. But I really want to focus in on this gospel passage. And, and like I said, I feel a lot of sympathy for Peter. I mean, Peter has been fishing all night by his own testimony. We learned that in verse 5 of the gospel passage. Um, it's now late in the day. Even I know that you need to fish when it's cool, not when it's hot. And clearly the fish just weren't biting that day. So it was ludicrous to go back out and try to fish again. I don't know if you know anything about first century fishing, but it's not the, the hook and pole idea that uh, many of us are familiar with and modern fishermen use. This, we're talking about net fishing, as it's described in the account, and, and you would have sometimes uh, different types of nets. I'm, as I preach about fishing, I, I learn all sorts of things because people give me feedback, but what I've learned is that there are different types of nets. There's deep water nets, there's shallow water nets, there are casting nets, and there are drawing nets. But particularly, I want to draw your attention, no pun intended, to this idea of a drawing net, which would maybe have been a hundred feet long, and it would have taken a team of fishermen to maneuver they would get out in the boats and they would bring these, these big nets along and they would drag them in and they would collect the fish. They would capture the fish, draw them in to the nets and then bring them to shore and then they could be sorted out for the good and the bad and whatnot. So would have, I mean, just imagine how much strength it would have taken to pull these nets through the water in a, in a first century boat, which was not very big, like a little John boat really 
a little bit bigger than that, but not very much. And they would have had to have been, been rowing and then pulling these nets over and over again. I mean, imagine how tired Peter must have been. And how frustrating it can be for fishermen who don't get to catch anything. No beer in the first century, so there was nothing to sort of occupy themselves with. In addition, we're told the nets were cleaned. And, you know, it just didn't seem like anything good could come of Jesus' requests. But Peter knows something of Jesus. And I, I say Peter, we, we know his name throughout most of his account is Simon. Once he's called Simon Peter, remember that Jesus begins to say to Peter, to, to Simon, he renames him, basically says, you're Petros, you're the rock. You're, I'm going to build my church upon the faith that Peter confesses at one point in the gospel accounts. And so I use those names kind of interchangeably, but Simon Peter is... is he is there with Jesus and, and Jesus says, let me get in your boat and go out into the water so I can teach the people. Obviously, Jesus was taking advantage of, of amplification over water. You've all been to a, to a lake or a, down to the, you know, someplace where a body of water, a river, where the, the sound will just echo off the water. And so Jesus wants to go out into the water so that he can, he can amplify his voice and be heard by all the crowd that's there to listen to him. The crowd has come for a, a word from God. They want to hear from God. And I would suggest to you that, that modern day people are well, as well are looking to hear a word from God. They're just extremely skeptical about what they think might be somebody claiming to have a word from God. They've, they've seen manipulation. People saying, this is what God says. And so they're, they're turned off by that. But I would suggest to you that that even in our, in our time, that people want to hear a word from God. And that's what's drawn them to the shore to hear Jesus. Now, imagine if I was to say to you, hey, would you come up and sit in a chair right here while I preach? And maybe you had a really long night, say, of fishing. Would that not be terrible? I mean, imagine here's Peter. He's in the boat with Jesus. Jesus is teaching the crowd. Everybody's eyes are fixed on Jesus in the boat. And here's Peter trying to stay awake. I mean, right? That would have been hard. But Peter gets through that. And then Jesus says, Peter, Simon, go out into the deep. Let's go out into the deep. Let's go fishing. Peter agrees. Again, we don't know how much he understands. Clearly he doesn't understand that this is Jesus, the Son of God, but he recognizes that there's a, a something about Jesus, a holiness, a, a, a power and authority, and so he obeys and he takes Jesus out into the deep. And then Jesus says, let down the nets in the deep. Peter, this is when we find out how frustrated Peter is he realizes that th this is not going to work I I've been fishing all night we've caught nothing it, you know this is this is ridiculous this is not going to happen but because you've asked master we'll put down the nets and Jesus commands Peter Peter puts down the nets and we're told that there is an abundance of fish now, you've heard this story before, but I just want to sort of unconnect un it from sort of the churchy uh, 
frame of, of, of mind that we normally approach this passage. Think about your profession, whatever it is that you've done professionally in your life. Imagine your very best day, week, or year. What would that look like? If you're a salesperson, you hit your record sales. If you're a scientist, you have a, an amazing breakthrough that changes your field of study. If, if you're uh, you know, a manager, you, you, you lead your organization to, to some of the greatest successful period of time in their whole history. If you're a teacher, you have this amazing breakthrough moments. Or maybe one of your former students comes back and they tell you that they're now studying for their PhD or they're, or they're doing this amazing thing in this area or that area. Whatever it would be, imagine your very best week. That's what Peter has. He has the most incredible catch of fish he ever took in. So much so that his boat and his partner's boats, James and John's boat, begin to sink. They are overwhelmed with success. They have done it. They have, they have caught the, the worst bad guy and have, and have put him away. They have, they have changed their industry. They have accomplished the height. I mean, imagine, imagine that, that moment of feeling like you've, it's, it's, it, this, is, this is as good as it gets in my career. And then be overwhelmed with the realization that you didn't have the faith to believe Jesus could actually give you that success. That's where Peter is. Can you sell out of every bit of your educational material and every school system, you know, and across the 50 states wants great leaps to come and, and be a part of their reading curriculum? I mean, boom. But and then imagine if you were the anchor for God to accomplish what he just did. That's where Peter is. Catch of a lifetime. Peter in that moment realizes that he's in the presence of God and that he has been the one obstacle to Jesus accomplishing this task. He has doubted the holiness of Jesus and his ability to accomplish what he wants to do. Last week when we talked about Jeremiah, I talked about Jeremiah saying, Lord, I'm too young, I don't know what to say. And God says, don't say to me, you don't know what to say. Don't say to me, you can't do it, you're too young. You will go where I send you and you will say what I send you. And then he, remember, he touches Jeremiah's lips and he puts his word on Jeremiah's lips. And very much like the Isaiah 6 passage, I reminded you of Isaiah. And Isaiah is the prophet in the Old Testament who, who says he encounters God and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I have beheld the glory of God and he falls down humbled, realizing that he's unworthy to be in the presence of God. This is what happens to Peter. New, New Testament version of this. He, he, he realizes that, that, that this is God in his presence. And he's doubted. He's been a person lacking faith. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is all according to plan. You, Peter, now are going to be a fisher of men. One who catches, literally in Greek, 
catches people alive for Jesus. Draws them in. Again, don't think hook and worm. Think net. Drawing people in to God. Well, I love the Gospels. I love the fact that there's nothing wasted and nothing Jesus does is a throwaway line. You can... You can Meditate upon each passage over and over again and God will begin to show you new and wonderful things. But I want to just draw your attention to a few things that are going on here, especially with this being our annual meeting Sunday, just to, just to remind you of a few things that I see in this passage. First of all, the crowd versus the inner core, the disciples, if you will. Jesus first begins by preaching the word of God to the crowd. There are people who, as I said before, they're spiritually inquisitive. They are, they are looking for a word for God. They're looking for truth. They're looking for direction. And so they come. And so it is with the crowds. And notice that Jesus will, throughout his ministry, he'll split his time up. He'll spend some time arguing with, with the religious leaders that think he's a fraud or a problem. But then he'll also spend a good bit of his time between the crowds the people who are spiritually inquisitive but not committed, and the disciples, the ones who are ready to get in the boat and go out into the deep. And I think we as a Christian community always have to be balancing those two things. And you probably know churches that do a really great job of gathering a crowd, but not so much of a job of helping people to go deep. And you know churches that are really good at going deep, but aren't really good at reaching the crowd, and yet Jesus found a way to balance that in his ministry. I think we're called to do that as well. But there's a difference between the crowd and the disciples. And the difference is willingness to get in the boat, willingness to go into the deep. In other words, willingness to take a step of obedience, a commitment to go forward with Jesus to where he wants to take us. Jesus calls the disciples out into the deep water and he calls them to trust him to accomplish what he can see, even if we can't see it ourselves. Now, I, I'm a, I'm a, I love the church. I've been in church most of my life. And um, I was the kid, I've told you before, who, you know, my dad was always mad at me. I was the last person to leave the church property. And I wasn't paid to be there. I just loved being at church. But I know church culture. And I know that there's a certain mentality that runs through culture in the church. And it goes something like this. It goes, we tried that before and it didn't work. Doesn't that sound like Peter? Lord, we fished that pond. The fish aren't biting in that pond. You're wasting our time and your time. And yet Jesus says, no, throw the nets. We've all done ministry. We've all sought to gather people to Christ. Maybe we've, we've really tried to be a good friend and to, and to be honest about who Jesus is and walk with people. And sometimes people respond, but more than not, they've walked away and they've not been willing to, to sort of pursue Christianity beyond that, that initial connection. And it's hard. It, 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 you wonder what you did wrong and, and you, you begin to get uh, cynical. And yet Jesus says, Go out into the deep. 
throw your nets. Trust me. Doubt your doubts. Take me on your word. Find out who I am. That I'm the God who accomplishes the impossible. That my ways are truly best, Jesus says. This is what he calls us to trust him in. Jesus directs Peter to the greatest catch of his life. Peter, in the process, realizes that he's the problem. He's the the one who's standing between God and what he wants to accomplish. We're told that Jesus uh, is such an impact on Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, that they leave their nets and they follow him. Um, they quit doubting and they believe, whatever that means for them at the next step. But for, not that they never fished again, but for them, priority one was trying to follow Jesus. Figure out what Jesus is saying and do it in every aspect of their lives. I love also the image of the net and the idea of how fishing was done in the first century. Today, fishing is so individualized. You can go out by yourself and with your boat and with your nets and with your uh, fishing stuff, whatever that stuff, all that equipment. Tackle, thank you, Bill. And, and, and do it all by yourself, but not in the first century. In the first century, it was a team sport. It required lots of cooperation. Multiple boats and multiple nets and lots of people, people on the shore, people in the water, all working together. What an image of the church that is, isn't it? That we're drawing people, that we're, we're making Jesus known, that we're, we're attracting people to Christ by how we love each other. I can share Christ individually with somebody and tell how awesome he is and how he's changed my life. But if I can bring him into a community of people like this and say, look at these people who've also had my experience of how Jesus has overwhelmed them with doing the impossible and accomplishing things that they didn't think they could accomplish or bringing them joy in the midst of horrible circumstances. It magnifies for those people the, the witness of who Jesus is. That is this image of the nets drawing people to Jesus. Sometimes we try to be Jesus to people. That's a really tough job description. We can't be Jesus to people. I mean, we can love them to the best of our ability as Jesus teaches us to love him. But, but ultimately what we do is we bring them to Jesus. We say, he's the one. I'm not going to, I'm going to fall short. I'm going to, I'm going to fail you at some point, but he, he will never fail you. And as a matter of fact, he'll do the impossible in your life if you let him. Well, this morning, just to wrap up, I wanted to suggest that there are three types of people that are here this morning. There are some who are a part of the crowd. They've come to hear a word from the Lord. They are skeptical, maybe doubtful, but their heart of hearts, they desire to hear from God. To you, I would say, focus on Jesus. Learn about him. Study his life. Hear the things he said to people. 
and the way he lived. He is the key. Focus on Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of him. Secondly, there are people in this room who are disciples. You have jumped in the boats and you are ready to go out of the deep with Christ. You are, you are there and I would say to you, continue to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. On Wednesday night, Justin reminded us that one of, the, one of our lived values in this parish is that we're willing to be uncomfortable for the needs of others. Discipleship happens as we step out of our comfort zone. As we trust Jesus and obey. We, we, as we step out, as we, we, we may even think we, we don't, you know, this is, we, can't, we can't do something. But we, we attempt to do things for God. We, ministry. Somebody asks you would, you, would you be on this team? We say, I don't think I can do that, but all right, I'll try. And you step out. That's where discipleship happens. In that moment of obedience. In that moment of stepping out of your comfort zone. Where you are trusting Jesus more than the doubt you have. And what you can accomplish. You're like Jeremiah. And, and, and like Isaiah. And, and like Gideon in our Old Testament reading today. Remember that whatever your vocation is. Disciple. That your calling is to draw people to Jesus. And you can do that in any environment, any work environment. It doesn't have to be with words. It's how you live your life. It's how you orient yourself to the good news of Christ and his reality in your world. That will be attractive to people. But thirdly, there are some people here who are like Peter. And let's be honest, Simon Peter is kind of the focus of the story. And you're ones who've been stepping out and you've tried some things and you find that you're a little callous and you're going to hear some things at the annual meeting that are going to sound like, boy, we've tried that before and it didn't work. Well, you're, you're with Simon Peter. <laughs> In that moment, I would remind you that, that Simon had to learn that Christ is the God who does the impossible. And he can bring about the very best week in your career despite you. That's who we're working with here. Not a wimpy little God, but the God of the impossible. The God of the miraculous. Be encouraged, Simon Peters. I love the, the parallel account of this. I'll end here. That there is actually a second story of this whole miracle with the fish that happens at this end of John's gospel, John chapter 21. It's a little different though. Jesus has risen from the dead. Talk about changing all reality. Jesus has come back after dying on the cross on the third day. He rises from the dead and he's on the beach and he sees the guys, his guys, out in the water and they're fishing. And he says to them, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. 
Clearly they had learned something because they didn't argue with this stranger on the beach. They just did it. They thought, well, it worked the last time a guy told us this. We're going to try something different. And they throw their nets on the other side and they gather what, what, what's recorded by John is 153 fish. Good fishing day, Ken. Good fishing day, right? Simon Peter puts on his outer garment, if you know that story, and he jumps in the water and he swims to Jesus. And he stands before Jesus. And this is where Jesus and Peter have that famous exchange. You know, do you love me, Simon? Feed my sheep, that whole thing. But what I want you to focus in on is how that story becomes the good news for Peter. Because he learns to doubt his doubts. He learns to trust in Jesus. And if Jesus is on the beach, I'm going to jump off this boat and swim to him. Because I want to be where he is. And I want to be doing the things that Jesus is doing. And I want to see the things that Jesus can accomplish. That is our call, friends. To trust the gospel, to trust the risen Jesus. And to seek to be with him wherever he is. Whatever he calls us to do in the city, I want us to be obedient to do it. If it's, to, if it's to go to, to the east side and to fellowship with Greater Bethel AME Church, I want us to do that. If it's to minister to Littlewood Elementary School and bless the families that are there, I want us to do that. If it's to, it's to go downtown and feed the homeless and be, be present to them. If it's to engage with the intellectual community of the city that thinks they don't need God, it's going to be to do that because we want to be there because that's where Jesus is. And he can do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. All right, I got to quit or I'm just going to keep going. So, do you get it? Do you see it? Ah. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this amazing account, Lord, that, that just so happened to be the, the readings for the week that we were going to have annual meeting, Lord. I pray that you will continue to shape this community by your gospel, that we would not be limited by what, we, by what we think we know or how tired we are or how many times we've tried, Lord, but that we would be trusting in you, the Jesus of the resurrection. And we would trust you, Lord, for the results. In Jesus' name, amen.